Crosscutters has been invited to South by Southwest to perform a live podcast in Austin, Texas. This is a huge opportunity for us and Australian podcasting as a whole, but we need your help to get there. Go to boxcutters.possible.com P-O-Z-I-B-L-E boxcutters.possible.com And pledge your money to help us get to South by Southwest. Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 292. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, Toby Halligan. Hello, listeners. And to my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Or should I say, howdy, partners. (sighs) Brett, Glenn Peters and I are all going to Austin uh, to participate in South by Southwest. We've been invited to their massive uh, interactive festival to do a live podcast of Box Cutters. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much to everybody who has uh, generously donated to Mm. help us get over there. Before then, though, we've got a kick-ass show here. Mm. Uh, Firstly, Toby Halligan in the guest seat. It's a lovely change. Pretty excited. You excited? Bit of an upgrade. So, So not only do we have Toby Halligan, Sitting in the guest chair. We also have, phoning in all the way from somewhere else in Australia, excellent TV producer Penny Chapman, who has produced everything from Brides of Christ to the new ABC TV show, The Straits. And when I say everything, on, I mean everything. Is she going to be on location? She might be. I don't know. She's in, on a telephone. Ah. She'll be talking to us about uh, the creation of The Straits, uh, which starts on ABC this week. We're also going to be doing a look at Once Upon a Time... Versus Grimm. Two shows go in, one show comes out. The box cutter dough. We've got one thing, we've got pork. As always, though, let's kick things off with the box cutters news. International outlaw playboy and eagophile Julian Assange will host his what? own TV talk show. It's going to be a 10-part series that's good, that, that will be produced for Russia's state-funded English language channel RT. Yeah. Which is, which is quite interesting, because the RT really does generally back the Kremlin pretty squarely. Like, if you go to RT's website, there's a, not a particularly large amount of criticism of Putin on there. Uh, quite a lot of criticism of FBI, Google, and virtually everything else associated with the United States, not so much of the Kremlin. So it's very interesting. This is very interesting. Well, I don't know what your take is on, uh, on Julian Assange, Toby. Uh, I... Uh, have seen a few interviews with him, and uh, I found him to be uh, pompous and self-righteous, uh, which makes him perfect to host his own TV yeah, talk he show. He does. Uh, he is going to be under house arrest during this time while he is uh, facing extradition. It's like Noel's house party, Saturday nights. <laughs> Look, I, I think what WikiLeaks has done has been, uh, you know, overall pretty good for freedom of speech, etc. Um, but Julian Assange is totally consumed with Julian Assange. Did you see his uh, dating profile, his OK Cupid profile? No. From 2006 that uh, emerged. So so uh, this is how he describes himself. Uh, well, this is how he describes the people, uh, the woman he'd like. Uh, so such a woman should be spirited and playful, of high intelligence, though not necessarily formally educated. 
you'd have spunk class and inner strength and be able to think strategically about the world and the people she cares about. Um, he like the, his, his profile is uh, incredible. Um, he describes himself as a passionate and often pig-headed activist. Intellectual seeks siren for love affair, children, and occasional criminal conspiracy. He's right, a so, weird dude. So he's he really, a really weird dude. He's just a modern-day Larry King, isn't he? <laughs> well, he's, no, no, he's really not. The, like, uh, the, the, the way he talks about uh, the, the show that he'll be producing is, uh, is with that same level of, of ridiculous arrogance. Mm. Uh, and he, he talks about it uh, going to discuss whether we are heading towards utopia or dystopia and how we can set our paths. He's going to be speaking to uh, world leaders and uh, opinion makers and decision makers and who knows who he's going to be talking to because it's going to be produced for RT and he's under house arrest and it's all really very complicated and, and questionable. And what kind of world leader wants to talk to a guy who's probably leaked stuff about them and revealed embarrassing details about their, you know, their conversations and their lives? Like um, Vladimir Putin? Yeah. Definitely, but that's the thing. Like uh, uh, Medvedev has actually is on the record saying that he thought that um, uh, WikiLeaks had done a positive thing for the world, even though Russia there was a bit of mild embarrassment for Russia when some of the stuff was leaked. Um, but they, uh, no, I think the Kremlin's definitely pro WikiLeaks, mainly because it, it just a sheer scale of embarrassment it caused to the United States. Brett, will you uh, will you be tuning in to uh, Assange TV? Yeah, I I think that. See, I don't think it's all about ego. I think he's just. A, a a a real techno geek, and and I think that that he, his personality is actually about having having that uh, grown up kind of just just playing around with computers and machines and all that sort of stuff, and and not having that that social. How, but if you socialization, if you, are, if you are such an independent spirit as Julian Assange, right, and and, and a you are, rogue, yeah, if, a Ronan. Why? <laughs> ooh, ooh, I like. Yeah, right. Nice. Uh, if you were such such a man and you wanted to have your own talk show, mm. and you were such a technophile and and a hacker geek, why would you go with a state subsidised TV production and not crowdsource, like crowdfund your, your own, uh, your own? A web show and have your own web show. It's all hinging on him. That's a lot more work for him. Well, well oh, see, okay, well, then having all, kind the, of all the infrastructure there undermined your own argument, really haven't you? Because for a free speech crusader, working for that's how he describes himself mm. working for basically a mouthpiece for the Kremlin is about as big of a sellout as, as you can do, I think, really. Like, um, I think this really kind of undermines, uh, like, I don't know. Like, I think it is totally about Julian Assange. I don't accept the technophile thing either. The idea that he's all about spreading ideas or whatever. Like you're saying, there's dozens of other ways he can do it. He's got the WikiLeaks website. Like, there would have been plenty of TV channels that would have been willing to do deals with him. I don't know why he's done it with RT. It, it, brings, it brings into, into question some kind of moral and and maybe that's me passing too much judgment on uh on rt i think there's probably a lot of money involved as well because rt does actually have a massive global reach like they claim it's a uh, 430 million people that watch it really yeah mind you they you know this is from the same country that you know claimed everyone has you know a car and a tractor and 
<laughs> and no potatoes. And okay. No one, day. no one was hurt by Chernobyl. Yeah. Uh, last, uh, <laughs> last <laughs> week we, we, we know what? <laughs> last week we talked about China. This yeah. this week, Russia, uh, and uh, and and also uh, the the U.S. emotionally troubled U.S. video on demand website Hulu uh, announced that they will also join the ranks of the original programming lot. We, we've spoken before about Netflix making House of Cards, and uh, also that's where uh, the Arrested Development new series is, is going to appear. And we spoke last week about China's online video market. Hulu have decided to put their hat in the, uh, in the original production ring with a, a show called Battleground. Hulu already beleaguered already has, has problems because, because of the way it was created uh, and because it was created out of a partnership of the different networks who have since decided whether or not they like it and have moved back and forth and Hulu have tried a funding model uh, where, where people pay for Hulu Plus and uh, there are all these, uh, all these things that around Hulu that just aren't working for it. Now they're going to try to create their own TV show. Mm. Is it worth it? If in uh, Australia and the UK we do quite well without Hulu, mm. we have uh, and we have the the ABC and iView and all the other local stations have their own video on demand services now. Uh, in the BBC, things are very uh, sorry. In the, in in Britain with the BBC, things are very similar. Uh, why don't the networks just create their own? individual sites absolutely but i think that's exactly why hulu has to start investing in creating its own content it's got to turn itself you know effectively into uh, a hybrid as opposed to just channeling content from the big tv stations but but if you if you were uh nbc mm. and uh and you had this opportunity to uh to have video on demand on your own website where you were in complete control over it or on Hulu's website, Hulu, who are also now a competitor because they're creating original content. Sure. Would you stay with them? Well, if you own 32% of the company, which NBC does, and I think that's the vital thing to remember, that you know NBC, Fox owns 31%, Disney owns 27%, Providence Equity Partners... <laughs> Some hedge fund. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, own 10%. Um, so all of those channels obviously have... Uh, an incentive to try to use the the Hulu style model and see whether in concentrating you know content that they can actually draw people in, draw subscribers in. Especially for for a network like NBC, who aren't going great guns with the ratings in the US, it's good to be in there with content from the successful networks where people can just click on the other link to watch their show mm. and and to get those eyeballs and maybe get those back to the TV that, that they get the Nielsen ratings figures on. Mm. I think as well the thing that they're, that NBC's most scared of isn't Hulu. It's just outright piracy. Um, and so uh, to them, anything, even if it takes away a little bit from you know direct revenue, if Hulu is going to channel some people away from the torrent sites into, you know, some kind of revenue stream for them, then absolutely it's worth a gamble. Speaking of technological trends and looking a little bit closer to home, Brett, uh, you had a story about ACMA. ACMA seem uh, almost as confused as uh, a lot of people are about whether uh, networks in the US should use Hulu or not. And so they've put out the call for uh, for industry and community uh, commenters to give them a bit of an idea about how with 
with the uh, the new technology coming in, uh, once the digital uh, TV switchover is complete, uh, in what directions me, we may want to go in? Uh, there's, there's improvements in transmission technologies, data compression. You've got 3D and ultra-high definition. Have you heard, any, heard anything about ultra-high? My, my doctor has warned me against it. Isn't yeah. it just high definition that's been grown hydroponically? So Are they going to be looking into all the things that we were promised but never delivered? Such as uh, such broadcast as, 3D content? Well, no, because we were never really promised that, and quite frankly, it's unnecessary. Uh, but such as multiple viewing angles for the cricket. Choose your own viewing angle. A DVD player remote still has an angle button, and I've never, ever used yeah, ne- it. Ne- never needed it. But Fox Sport, when they had the cricket one year, uh, you could actually turn off the commentary and just listen to the ambient sounds of the of the field, which was fantastic. And that's quite simple. If you want to change angle, then they've actually got to use a different feed, don't they? A different a different channel. Uh, yeah, well, that's multi-channel. That they yeah. should do that for the for but, the women's tennis final. My God! Except the thing you should cut out is the sounds the players make. Like, yeah, that would be amazing. If you just if you could no more Sharapova. Degrunt it. Yeah, or you could you could dub in the Dahl's grunts for hers because his grunts, like even though he's hitting the ball, I don't know however much is hard, like a one third the decibels. It's amazing. Um, but specifically, you are what are they asking about? That the, it's entitled the report is beyond switchover. The future technical evolution of digital terrestrial television in Australia. ACMA's seeking comment on possible paths for the technical evolution of digital television broadcasting in the post-switchover, post-restack environment. But I think really <laughs> this is just saying that ACMA's got no idea what's, I don't what even know future what that directions means. are going to be and they the, want people to, to give them ideas about what, is what it may be and, and what technology might be in the pipeline. Anyone can send in submissions, by the way. Like, so anyone listening who, you know, knows anything about this knows what the sentence I just said means. Um, <laughs> you can you can send in submissions up until Friday the thirtieth of March, twenty twelve. Uh, the email is dps at acma.gov.au. In brief news, uh, a few uh, a few television related deaths this last week. Dick Tufeld, I think is how you pronounce his name, voiceover announcer, who was also the voice of the robot Danger Danger from Lost in, in Space. Lost in Space. Oh. Uh, he passed away during the week, as did uh, quite quite recently uh, director John Rich, who uh, directed the Dick Van Dyke Show, All in the Family, Gilligan's Island, uh, was uh, quite influential in the way TV comedy uh, in the US was was directed, and uh, also the, uh, the the one that hit me hardest, uh, Robert Heggie's uh, from Welcome Back, Cotter. He was Epstein, Juan Epstein. Uh, of the uh, of the, of the famous notes signed Epstein's mother. How's Holshek going? Holshek, I think I think is fine. You know, he had yeah. a nose job. No, he uh, yeah he he had a nose job. Looks completely different because the nose was so su- such a, an important part of his character. Yep. No, yep. Can, you just such got a tent pole, as it were. You just got all ET on us. Like we went from celebrity death news to who's got plastic surgery. <laughs> <laughs> And lastly, in the news, 69-year-old and former live TV embarrassment, Mike Willisey will return to Channel 7 to file special stories for Sunday night. Oh, wow. It's so good. It's so good that, uh, you know, someone who should be in retirement at that age is taking the job of a young journalist who could quite easily fill that Media role. Watch must be popping champagne. I know. How excited. I was going to use a more sordid reference. But, you know, like that. <laughs> and that... Is the box cutters news? He built an empire in paradise. Now 
people choosing air. You want it. You earn it. So now you got to prove yourself. Show your father. Our business is about minimizing risk. You deliver short, so I deliver short. These guys need to learn a bit of respect. But when it all comes crumbling down... What did you do? What did you do to us? Will the family band together or be torn apart? The Straits. Starts February 2nd on ABC One. We're joined on the box cutter's telephone. Oh, yeah, that's right. We now have our own telephone. It's one of those like, Lego ones. looks like Lego. You pick it up and it feels like Lego on your ear. I but can you can actually, can actually speak. Yeah, I, I know you can see it because you're, you're here. Anyway, on the box cutter's telephone, we have Australian TV producer extraordinaire. Penny Chapman. Penny, welcome to Box Cutters. Hello. You have been so influential in in Australian television. Things like Blue Murder, Brides of Christ, uh, Joe's Jewelry. They have, however, aside from uh, Remote Area Nurse, which uh, which was fairly recent, they've pretty much all been ABC productions. Have have they not? Um, there've been a couple of SBS, and yes, that's true. Partly because. From about 1989 to about 1998, I was at the ABC as head of drama and then head of television. So um, most of what I did, I commissioned or developed for the ABC. And then when I left the ABC, I, I uh, kept making stuff for the ABC. Although we did the co- we made a series called The Cooks about mm-hmm. two warring restaurants for Channel 10, and um, I've done a whole lot of docos for SBS and then also the. The, the ran remote area nurse as you said but yeah you're right M- much of what i've done has been for public broadcast so we, we had uh, actor toby truslove in the studio last week and and we were discussing this similar thing with him where there seems to be uh, a, a sense around the abc that they're willing to take a a bit, and SBS as well now, with, with shows like East West 101 and Remote Area Nurse, willing to take a, a little bit more of a risk on drama where the networks still uh, are not willing to, to do that. Do you find that as, as a producer? I think it depends on where the broadcaster is at any given time. I mean, I think that the ABC would have been proud to have picked up the first Underbelly, done mm-hmm. the first Underbelly when Channel 9 did it. And um, uh, we're doing a movie for Channel 10 about Julian Assange's hacking days as a teenager so um, I think it's pretty um, pretty exciting of them to pick it up And but there was a time there, remember when the ABC was playing it very safe and all they seemed to want to do was remakes of um, Sea Change so well, that's that true. everything that came out of the ABC seemed to be um, a kind of a version of Sea Change and, and Sea Change was a great great series in its day and it broke new ground but goodness me variations upon variations looking at the straits how much input do you have as as producer when uh when developing a a story like this um quite a bit i I mean one of the reasons i love television is it's 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 a producer's medium you know you um it's it's about creative marriage broking and so when somebody comes to you with an idea you then sit down with the other producers and the showrunners and um, and you think, who would be good to write this? Who would be a great writing team? Who do we uh, invite into a brainstorm room to throw around ideas around the general around the general area of this story? Um, who do we get on board to research it? And 
and then we go for broke. We just brainstorm and plot and write and rework and, you know, and we've found that the best way to put these shows together increasingly is to put together the best team of writers for that project you can and kind of invite them to join, get joined at the hip so that they support each other, they critique each other. Um, they all feel of a team reaching for the best ideas and the best ways to, to execute them. And, and then you bring on the writers, uh, sorry, the directors, and then you put the directors and the writers together in a, you know, in a room where, they can, you know, where we read the script and you try and join the writers with the directors as much as you possibly can. And it's about assembling uh, little creative teams. And so the time soon comes where you know that you've got to create a really special little marriage between the director or the directors and the um, cinematographer and the production designer and the costume designer and that design team. And, I mean, that's... That's the best fun, really. I mean, on the Straits, we had a we had a palette meeting. We had a tone and palette meeting where, with the design team and the directors, and we talked. A, you know, we talked about what what we each of the directors came up with films that they felt were really great, kind of templates or inspiration style wise for, you know, for this. <laughs> and it was a, it was a really fabulous day because. What we decided that we really wanted was something that was soft and seductive rather than hard-boiled. Which, which really comes across in the, uh, in the way it looks. I mean, because the story is, is a hard-boiled story, but, yeah. but the way it looks is a story about family. Well, see, I think that great drama is about contradiction. So it's characters in contradictory poses or it's contradictory worlds or, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a dialectic really the, the thing of drama you just chuck two contradictory forces together and see what comes out the uh when you were talking about getting writing teams together and and researchers the the writing genealogy of this is is really interesting it's, it's based on an idea when i say this i mean the, the straits it's based on an idea by aaron faso uh, i hope i said that right i've, I've never heard it spoken uh who is uh, one of the actors and he was also in East West 101. Uh, listeners may remember him from that. Uh, based on an idea of, of his, the first episode was a scenario by Louis Nara. It was a script by <coughs> Nick Parsons. Yes. With, with some original scenarios by, by Louis Nara. And what happened was that um, Aaron brought us the idea. And um, Aaron and Helen Pankhurst and Charles Tassie, who was also in RAN, Aaron was in Rand too, um, and I formed a company called Pixar House to develop Torres Strait stories, stories set in the Torres Strait, and um, this was one of the ones that Aaron brought, and um, and we loved it, and we thought, who best, who best to conceive this the tonality of this world and the and the and the and the scope of this world, and so we asked Louis Nara to come on board, and he and Aaron went up to the Torres Strait to do a research trip, which turned out to be one of the most scary and for Louis the most thrilling of research trips and um, they um, came back with some great story ideas and Louis started to develop stories and develop characters and um, and, uh, and he came up with um, a marvellous kind of Shakespearean operatic approach to it 
And then, of course, what happened was that the ABC had asked us to to develop six episodes and then um, got a bit excited about doing ten episode series, so they then asked us if we could do that. And kind of halfway through, we went, oh, sure, no worries. And, of course, it was extremely difficult (laughs) to change the ship around at that stage, but we did, and we brought on new writers to the team. Um, At the same time, wanting to preserve the marvellous black comedy that was... Louis' trademark and the operatic feel, but also what we really felt that we needed to do at that stage was make the world more real. And so we then went back to getting a researcher, a, a researcher on board who could tell us really about the details of, you know, research for us the details of how people smuggle drugs through the straits, how salt drops occur, how you launder money, that kind of thing. The things that you're describing are. Uh, as we said before, really hard-boiled stuff, and and the family things that that are going on are really dramatic as as well. There's uh, power plays for for the patriarchy, and I have to say the patriarch is is played by Brian Cox, who is one of my favourite actors of all time. It's just extraordinary in this role. Great, isn't he? He's just oh, such a pleasure to watch. Like, mm. and uh, and so there are all these really heavy elements, but then there also seems to be this. Uh, kind of slapstick style violence like a almost like a terence hill bud spencer movie mm-hmm. uh yep and, and so th- there's that contradiction as well well yes and that was a result of getting people like jamie brown and blake ashford and um and um and um nick parsons into the room uh and they just they just went nuts they just kept on coming up with these really bizarre scenarios which of course, just added to the really bizarre scenarios that Louis had set up, like the dog stairs. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, there's a whole, you know, this crime, crime father is, um, you know, obsessed with building a set of dog stairs for his wife so that the, the dog, the Chihuahua, can actually get up onto the bed um, of a night. And there, yes, there are these. Um, and while we weren't trying to write comedy. There is a lot in it that's very funny. Episode two turns into almost like a, a really dark Three Stooges film. Yeah, yeah that's right. And and there, and that continues through the series. Was there a, a, a danger that did, did you find when developing this? Because it's about a crime family and because in Australia we've had uh, the Underbelly series, which have been about crime families of, of the past, uh, and also the, uh, the the very famous HBO series, The Sopranos. Were you worried about comparisons with any of those? Um, yes, of course we are. But what we decided was that we weren't going to become too anxious about those, and what we were going to do was follow the um, um, follow the the reality of that particular world and. This world that we've created is actually based on observations about the way people behave up there. And so what happens in this series, apart from things like the, you know, the pool death in episode one, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is, is actually quite real. And we've just been researching a second series, which we'll do if, you know, if there's enough interest in the first series. But, uh, and and um, Emily Maguire the novelist has been our researcher and she went up there and talked to a whole lot of people and the stories from young people who talk about or not young people people in their 30s who talk about when they were 17 and 18 and out in png doing deals with the rascals for drugs are unbelievable my god they're so bizarre they are so bizarre and um 
the world up there is like nothing else you'd see in Australia. It's it's an amazing world. Um, and some of the most kind of outrageous and um, odd and uh, absurd things happen. And so... Um, We've hoped that we've got the origin. We've captured enough of the originality of the world, not to uh, be unfortunately compared, I suppose. But you know, there are big, you know, there are big motifs. Like you know, once you get into a family story, you know, there will be comparisons with The Godfather, with The Sopranos, mm-hmm. and the thing about family is that it's so compelling. The whole drama that family creates is just compelling and we hope that what we've done with this family at least is come up with a kind of hopefully as original a family as we you know possibly can there seems to be a theme going through going through your work uh you brought this to mind when you said you know it's it's completely different up there uh this uh again a, a conflict between uh the life in the in the shows that you produce and and the life in a mainstream real world, I mean, looking at Blue Murder, Brides of Christ, uh, and then Remote Area, and the, the, these and the Straits, these two shows uh, from up north, uh, there is this constant reminder of this is not the life the viewer is used to. Yes, and yet it's also about um, it's also about the ordinary relationships between people. Like you know, Blue Murder is about. Uh, the friendship between two men, essentially. Um, it's, it's, about, it's, a, it's about a kind of love between two men, Roger Rogerson and Nettie Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Brides of Christ is about women and authority. And yes, there's something, there's, there is something uh, really, I think, alluring about hidden worlds within our world, um, going into places within our community within our culture that we don't know that much about and I think people um, quite often find that quite kind of uh, intriguing yeah uh, but the Torres Strait is such an important part of Australia and and yet such a foreign part of Australia it, and it is amazing it is absolutely it absolutely blows your mind up there because not only is it I mean you can't go there easily because you've got to be invited to go onto the islands and um, and um, so you just can't swan in and be a tourist um, because they're run by island communities. And it is unbelievably beauty, beautiful and the light and the white beaches and the, uh, it's just extraordinary. And the blue, blue, blue of the, of the Coral Sea. But then when you get up there and you start to learn about the history of the place and, my God, it's just extraordinary, the history of... You know, the pearling history up, up there, I mean, you could, you could, in fact, we're working on it at the moment, a deadwood set on, a kind of a deadwood set on um, Thursday Island during the pearling era from the 1890s to the 1940s. Um, just extraordinary story. stories. Of, um, stories of uh, the warriors, um, King Kebisu, who had these gigantic boats that these six foot three men would stand up and the gunnels would come up to their chests and they'd row and they had these huge sails on them and Kebisu and his men in these in lots of canoes coming down the straits in v formation sent terror into the hearts of every islander who was watching Kebisu come down the straits and you know they they'd go out onto the reef where european ships had been wrecked and they would um 
and they would they would behead all of the people on the on the ships, and then put the heads in baskets and take them up the Fly River into New Guinea and trade them for big tree trunks so that they could make more boats. And this is kind of sort of headhunting culture. But some children who look like they might be the ghosts of dead children on the island were taken back to the island and brought up as the dead as the ghosts of the dead children. I mean, it's just there's some sensational stories from up there. Well, Penny Chapman, we, we look forward to those uh, and we look forward to seeing the, the rest of the, the straits. It starts on February the 2nd, Thursday, February the 2nd at 9.30 on ABC. 8.30. 8.30, 8:30 sorry. <gasps> oh, I had that wrong my nose. And then 10.30 on... Um, on ABC Two on Friday nights. On Friday nights, and yeah. and also on iView. Uh, yeah, a lot of our listeners big on iView, yeah. uh, and it's it's fun and it's and it really is unlike other shows that we've seen from uh, from Australia. So I'm really Great. excited I'm about glad it. You say that. I'm re- I really love it. I'm just um, very excited by it. I've fallen completely in love with the characters, and they do just when you thought you were getting to be able to work out how they're going to behave, they surprise you. Time. Penny Chapman, thank you so much for joining us on Box Cutters. Pleasure. Friday, Halloween weekend. We have the ability to see what no one else can. Snuggle up with a little warm and fuzzy evil. Lighten up, I'm just making a point. From the producers of Buffy and Angel. Who are you? The big bad wolf? What, you just get the books tonight? I think it was just a cat. Grim premieres Friday of Halloween weekend on NBC. Two shows started last uh, September, October uh, in the US. It's part of the fall season, Mm -hmm. uh, new shows last year. Uh, They were Once Upon a Time and Grimm. And we bring them both up together because they both revolve around fairy tales. Modern day spins on traditional fairy tales. And and particularly the the Grimm, the Brothers Grimm stories. Uh... We'll start with Once Upon a Time. Anyway, we're going to get them to fight and uh, and see who wins. That's why we brought the uh, box cutters dome. Yeah. yeah. The box cutter dome. Uh, Once Upon a Time is uh, is set in modern day America uh, in a town called Storybrook and uh, and features a lot of characters who were also fairy tale characters. And the premise there is that the Wicked Queen from the Snow White stories has cast a curse on everybody who lived in Storytown and they uh, find themselves in modern-day America. They never age. They don't remember anything about their former lives. But we have Snow White. We have the Wicked Queen. We have Rumpelstiltskin. We have uh, the cast of characters just goes on and on and on until, uh, until they run out. So, uh, so when, it, when it said they lived happily ever after, no, it all changed as soon as they got married. Yes. Yeah. Snow White and Prince Charming get, get married because... Uh, it goes on everybody, and they all end up in Maine. In Maine, uh, which apparently is where curses happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so if you're in Maine, you're either stuck in uh, in storybook limbo, or you're going to be attacked by a ghost clown. So, Once Upon a Time has that, and and there is a, a messiah kind of story here as well. There is someone who will save everybody in the town and send them back to their original place. And that is the daughter of Prince Charming and Snow White. Uh, and it was so, sent to the future. And so this is the story of Sarah Connor, the, <laughs> the storybook messiah. 
that's Once Upon a Time. Grimm, on the other hand, uh, the, the way that works is you have uh, these people called Grimm's. They are called Grimm's, and they are people who can see storybook characters for what they really are in the real world. So both of these shows are set in the real world, but uh, characters like the Big Bad Wolf, uh, are, there's actually a whole slew of Big Bad Wolves. It's a species. It is, it is a species, and very few humans can actually see them for what they really are, but in a kind of Vampire Slayer way, uh, once every generation or so, there are people who can see. It sounds kind of like a Doctor Who episode, like a great Doctor well, Who episode as a premise for a whole show. Yeah. We set up this East Coast-West Coast battle with this uh, segment. Oh, yes. Yes, we have. It's uh, set in Portlandia. It, it is. It's, it's, it's set in Portland. Uh, and it's Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine. It stars David Giuntoli as, uh, as a cop who is also a grim and... Uh, and so he solves crimes using his grim abilities. He can uh, he can go through and and see who has perpetrated the crime and uh, and whether or not they are part of a storybook character nonsense. Blah 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 nonsense. blah 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 blah. I I'd say I I hated Grim. I thought Grim was a waste of everybody's time. I thought Once Upon a Time. Had promise. Mm. That's the that's the extent of it. I was I was really excited about Once Upon a Time because it was created by uh, Adam Horowitz and Edward Kitsis. Kitsis is that, is that how you say? Yeah, yeah Kitsis, uh, who uh, were both uh, writers and uh, producers of Lost, and so it came from uh, from them. Damon Lindelof, uh, who's the uh, EP of Lost. Uh, it's one of the EPs of Once Upon a Time, so it's it's got uh, it's it's got a re- really good genealogy. And they actually developed it in two thousand and four before they started working on Lost. So they've had you know like there's been plenty of time for it to kind of simmer away there because it does seem like a well thought through, interesting, quite deep concept. Whereas Grimm, it feels a little bit angel esque. It's like what you said with the Vampire Slayer thing. It feels kind of like a cop show with a twist. To and a this is, and this is what ha- what, what I think happened. Uh, Lost ended, and Kitsis and Horowitz pretty much straight away announced that they were going to do Once Upon a Time, and everyone was really excited. Did they know the from idea. the outset when it was going to finish? That's, that I don't know. I, I, I don't even know if to this day they know when it's going to finish. <laughs> uh, and so they announced it, uh, and it uh, they uh, signed up with ABC, who uh, who created Lost. So there was that thing going on. NBC struggling to find their feet in anything at the moment. Uh, here, somewhere, maybe in Variety, maybe somewhere else, that someone is doing a show about fairy tales and thinks that's a great idea. So let's do the same thing. Is that what happened? That's that's what I think happened. That's that's my take on it. Because Grimm really feels like it was thrown together last minute. Because how are you going to do? Well, let's just make it a cop drama. If we just make it a cop drama, then uh, then all the bad guys can be uh, big bad wolves or three bears kind of 
characters and uh, and that makes it, and then he solves crimes and he just they just happen to all be storybook related In, crimes. Oh, wow. The monster of the week. And, yeah. and, and so you know as well that one of the the creators of Grimm, David Greenwald, actually worked on Buffy the Vampire yeah, Slayer. Yeah, da- David Greenwald Angel. has has done a lot of great work. You this is not this part in, of it in, in no. Wikipedia, but he is actually a Grimm as well. All oh, right, <laughs> <laughs> the power of Wikipedia. Uh, that's. That's how I feel. Once upon a time, uh, stars Jennifer Goodwin, uh, who you might remember from Big, Big Love, Love. Uh, and uh, and a bunch of other people that you you may not have seen, except for Robert Carlyle mm-hmm. as Rumpelstiltskin, who blows everybody else off the screen. He is really just showing people how to act. Doesn't he always play the same thing though? No, like, like it, not as Rumpelstiltskin, but all, always that that really nasty. Arsehole, really? Really? Yeah. Really? Have you seen Hamish Macbeth? Or the uh, Full Monty? Yeah, apart from that. Or the Full Monty? Apart from that. Yeah, so apart from yeah. the roles where he doesn't do that. So, so train spotting in this. Yeah. <laughs> he plays yeah. that exact same role. Yeah, except I think it's quite different to, to his role in. He's uh, quite mad in, in train spotting. Yeah, quite yeah. different to Begbie. Uh, <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin is, is a conniving, evil. Man, but he knows everything that's going on, and he and he knows everything that's going on. He's he's the only he's the only thing that actually keeps me watching Once Upon a Time, because I want to see what happens with Rumpelstiltskin's story. There's a kid. He he annoys me like the the little kid in the middle. He's he's got that kind of freaky head about him. How much of the middle did you watch? Uh, enough. Really? Like he, he was past a, the he, credits. You watch past the credits of the middle. He was he was like a, a Midwest trailer park Dewey from uh, Malcolm in the Middle. And so you're hey, hang on, are you saying the kid in Once Upon a Time is like that, or Robert Carlyle was like that? <laughs> the kid. Okay, because we were talking about Robert Carlyle, and then like in the same sentence, he just kind of ran on into. So the kid in Once Upon a Time. So here's the thing: there's the, there's this kid in Once Upon a Time, and he is uh, an orphan who has been adopted. By the mayor of the town, Storybrook. The mayor is also the Wicked Queen from Snow White. Who is she? I know. Was she in Desperate Housewives? Oh, or? I don't know. She's very familiar. Uh, she's not a great actor. Lana that's, Perilla? That's for sure. She was in Spin City <laughs> and Miami Medical. Oh, Talking about the Evil Queen. Late, late in. Sp- no, early in Spin City, she was Michael J. Fox's girlfriend. Mm. Uh, who only lasted about four or five episodes, and then they got rid of her and changed the show completely. Uh, she was also in Miami Medical, that great show we all remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, no, never heard of it. Yeah, no. Ne- never, <laughs> ne- never heard of it. Alliteration. Alliteration is good. She's she's not great. but the, the So the kid has been uh, adopted out to uh, to her, but... He is actually the son of uh, the Messiah, Sarah Connor. She's the grandson of Snow White. I've got to yes. say, She's I was thinking grand- before, yeah. it would be kind of awesome to get like the Terminator theme or the Terminator 2 theme and do it in like, you know, one of like music boxes, like that. Like that would be, that would be a cool theme song. Sorry, that was just a thought, thought fart. And, and <laughs> on every, that every rotation, we can the, cut that out. The ballerina just falls into the uh, silver balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. And that's when I lost control of the show. <laughs> the uh, Brett, you've seen both of these shows. I Toby, have. You've, you've you've seen you've seen neither, but you speak about them with authority, which yeah, I like because I've read both the Wikipedia pages, and it's pretty much all you need. You've seen both of them. What, what I've seen what both of them. They 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 they're made for such distinctly different demographics. Uh, Grimm is a grown up, fairly grown up. Like I think it's more grown up than Buffy was. Mm-hmm. Um, 
series, but it is it is very very kind of monster of the week. But it's episodic. It's really easy to get into. Not that anybody's heard about our segment on episodes. Um, so so you can come to it at any time. It, it, the opening credits give the full the full exposition, and we're into it. Um, but you, you can come to it at any at any time. But having seen a single episode as you, as your entry point, I, I, would you would you continue it's, watching? It's nice popcorn TV. Okay, yeah. and once upon a time, uh, once upon a time, uh, very much a younger uh, demo that's going for maybe a little bit Gilmore Girls kind of audience. I think a lot more female audience that they're going for, mm-hmm. um, which probably explains why the main protagonist is a woman, um, you know, kick-ass woman, bounty hunter chick. Um, uh, all, all but, three. But all I don't expect that, that the same people are going to watch both of the shows, although I would. So you would you would keep watching both of them? Yeah. 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 And I, 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 I figure that there's got to be a fairly short lifespan of Once Upon a Time. Really? Cause Unless I would say, they get into somebody else's story. I would say that about Grimm. Wow. It sounds like there's only one way to resolve this. Grim's really it's open-ended. Time for Box Cutter Dome. <laughs> I guess we're actually a large portion of the way through Box Cutter Dome. Yeah, this is... Yeah, we've, we've well, been I know where... Yeah, you've, yeah. I, I just wanted to bring it back. The thing about Grim is there's nothing to keep me watching every week. I like the I wolf. He's the only good character in Grim. But the main character in Grim, I just don't care about. I don't care about him. I don't care about his journey. I don't care about his uh, his police cop partner... Uh, I don't care about their stilted dialogue. I don't care about their plot what holes. What <sighs> Neither of them are, are as good as, as they could be. I, I really, I had high hopes for Once Upon a Time. Uh, and and it's, it's okay. I will probably keep watching it. So I'm hoping there's going to be a, a big payoff. But uh, it's just that the acting really lets it down. I, and I think if Robert Carlyle wasn't in it, to have that contrast in good acting, not so great acting, uh, then maybe I wouldn't notice it as much. But every scene he is in, everyone else just stinks. But we know that the the massive battle is coming. Yeah, and uh, and it's going to be like like once people actually commit to believing the kid, I think it's it's going to turn into something quite different. But that was the same problem with heroes. We knew there was a massive battle coming, and then it never came, and then we all got bored. I'm worried that's going to happen. Lost? No, Lost ended and it, it ended no brilliantly. That's Once Upon a Time and Grimm. Uh, look, you know what? I don't even know if they're going to be airing here. I'm sure one of them is at some point. I didn't get a chance to do that research. Fuck you, you know. Hello and welcome to Today Tonight. Every yes. fucking so- word. Soap and water. Oh, exactly. Soap and water. Hello and Fuck you. I'm Naomi Robson. Swearing. You know, just last week, uh, Toby Halligan mentioned Naomi Robson on uh, on the show, and now we have a, a Ray Watch, the first one we've had in a long time. It, it is, but uh, you know, some sometimes things just jump out at you. Uh, if you've been in Australia this week, uh, you've probably heard about the story of uh, Australia Day and uh, the uh, the the rumour spreading like wildfire through the Aboriginal tent embassy in Canberra. Uh, that uh, that Tony Abbott had said that uh, they should just bulldoze it and, and move on. Um, 
Which is not what he said. No, not what no, he said. Not what he said at all. Uh, things got a little out of hand. Um, then, uh, then we had information, and and all of this is a work in progress. Uh, the the Liberal Party are, are demanding uh, AFP investigation. The AFP have said there's no laws that were broken. Um, through a, an ALP media advisor telling somebody in uh, the Tony in Hodges ministry. informed Kill Kim Sattler, who is a unionist, who I think then forwarded it to um, uh, I think Barbara Shaw, I think is her name, who actually spoke directly to. Uh, people at the 10 Embassy. And Sorry. it just so happened that the 10 Embassy, which is near Parliament House, was also quite close to the Lobby Restaurant. Is that the name yeah, of it? Yeah, that, that is the name Which of it. was where a ceremony for... Uh, Emergency uh, service workers, medal. personnel who'd done like firefighters, etc., were being given medals by the, uh, the Prime Minister and Abbott was present there as well. I'm and so glad that you've uh, prepared Brett's segment for him. No, I, I, I enjoy it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Channel 9 happened to have a, a couple of cameras there. And um, I, I think that I, I'm just a little bit concerned at... We, we've had all this talk over the last week of the rioting, the outright violence, the, the terror that we've seen. Nobody was arrested. Nobody was hospitalised. There was very little damage caused by the protesters um, who, who were outraged because they, it had been reported to them that Tony Abbott had said we should mm. just mm-hmm. bulldoze the tent embassy. Um, Bring me to the TV bit. Where's, where's the TV bit here? The TV bit was a Channel 9 report from it. Um, the first little snippet, that's, uh, you, you can find this online on YouTube, um, but I've, I've just got a couple of little points from it. The first is this. The Prime Minister, cradled by an officer, lost a shoe, stumbled slightly in the mayhem. A moment of terror captured here on Julia Gillard's face. I don't think that's a moment of terror captured on her face. She's she's being headlocked by by her her security personnel to to protect her. Apparently that's what you do with women Prime Ministers. You you said that Channel 9 had had cameras there, but that was just stills from yeah. Sydney Morning Herald. The the entire story has a, a fair bit of uh, mu- moving images from uh, getting them out of out of the restaurant. There is the car. there is quite a lot of footage of that particular the, scene as well. the The description of photos, which that was, that was a description of photos, which is something that E News does. Yep. Uh, where they will take a photo from a newspaper or, uh, or, or or a magazine and then show you the photo and then describe the photo yeah. in, in voiceover. And it is just mindless filler. It's not news to take... It's not TV news to take still photos and then describe them for people. Mm. That is That is what... Uh, RPH is for. But that particular picture kind of went uh, viral and has gone around the world as well. Like that very, quite particular picture has been featured on news websites uh, around the world. But um, for people to look at and see what's going yeah, on. very true. Rather than have a news reporter tell them what's in the picture that they're looking at. In this picture, the Prime Minister's leaning forward. A man has his left arm around her. Right, and that's, that's yeah. exactly what, what, what he's doing, which is ridiculous. What's his, what's his second bit, Brett? The second bit uh, has a bit of a flashback. We go into the lobby restaurants uh, as they're all gathering for, the, for the ceremony. Restaurant. Mr Abbott and the Prime Minister were at an awards ceremony and the protesters found out. 
Julia Gillard and Mr Abbott and Guest were virtual prisoners surrounded and locked inside. This was a moment the Prime Minister's security told her it was time to get out. What is going on there, Brett? So, so, so would they like us to go straight? They're writing subtitles so you can understand what they're saying better, which is fine because it's a it's a very noisy it's a very it's noisy a area, noise. a lot of background noise, and and the things they're saying about. Uh, about getting out of the the room are, are very important, particularly Julia Gillard saying, "Well, what about Mr. Abbott? Have you uh, ha- have you made any arrangements for for him?" That's a you know c- quite an important uh, point for her last it's week. Politically, incredibly significant. Uh, Channel Nine are writing uh, subtitles for this, which which help people understand it, but the the font the, size kind of go along with the words, so they're they're popping up. As, as they're being spoken. Rather than the traditional SBS-style line at a time. So, for example, if we were to read the present sentence that's on the screen on the basis of the size they've devoted to their words, it would read, So, would they like us to go straight away? They'll let us know. It's, it's incredibly yeah, weird. It's, it is incredibly weird. If, if you consider that the font size is, is equated to the volume, uh, then words like a glass and smashed yeah. would be yelled at the, at the top of their lungs. Yeah. And this is not how it was said. It was said it's very, very calmly. With a lot of restraint. Like, they both handled it very, very well. Um, I don't and think this the is, security detail handled it as well. But. This, is, this is clearly a, a large piece of A, editorialism and B, sensationalism mm. on, on Channel mm. 9's mm. part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Something Absolute we haven't beat seen. Of, of, you know, it was what it was, but but then for Channel Nine to come in and and further beat it up by sensationalising it with that glass could smash any time. That's extraordinary. You, you've got these on on YouTube, Brett. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll have links to them on the Box Cutters website if you want to if you want to check them out for for yourselves. This is really this is really terrible <laughs> reporting for, for Channel Nine. Yep. Yep. they used to be the leaders of commercial news. Um, apparently, uh, this uh, little snippets of, of footage because they they did have uh, d- uh, fairly close access to what was going on. Uh, they released everywhere. Uh, they said anybody could use the footage um, did as long as they use their giant letters. Thing. Well, it is it is you know watermarked. Right, right, um, but it really looks like they got the uh, the people who did the supers for Fringe to do their subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the biggest uh, obstacles it, to the security. It detail. is also worth noting that, like several people who were actually at the protests outside um, and who weren't at the stairs when the prime minister's security detail kind of barged through, have said that actually things were nowhere near as out of control as they appear. Um, it clearly, like, this is uh, a, a difficult situation and, like, I, I don't know how often, like, uh, the Prime Minister's security details required to go into a, a crash drill. I don't know whether they call it that, but I know... Almost almost never because it's Australia. Yeah, exactly. Well, and Tony Abbott just goes around usually without a security detail of any kind, for example. So yeah, just, say, just saying shit that he shouldn't. I've got to say, how lucky was he that they happened to go to a restaurant where the Prime <laughs> Minister happened to be at? Like, how lucky is Abbott... Well, I'm pretty sure he would have been quite happy to fight his way out, like that he was kind of like, I'll take you one by one. <laughs> and But the thing, the thing about Tony Abbott is, you know, he's pretty fit. He probably could. He probably could actually he, outpace them. He probably could. So that's, uh, that's Ray Watch. It's a, a good good catch, Brett. Good catch. We'll have links to those YouTube uh, videos up on the Box Cutters site. If you watch one.
question without notice, Toby Halligan. Oop. If you're going to watch one thing this week. I'm actually going to be watching the entirety of the British version of The Office. I, um, oh. I've just decided... What I, are you going to do with your other 200 and whatever hours? I Well, I'll, I'll start with that. That's very short. It's very short. Yeah. yeah but I want to savour it, though, and kind of study it a little bit. You know? So you've never seen it? I, I've not, actually. I've not had the pleasure. And what brings that to, to um, currency? Uh, I am kind of trying to boil away at different little kind of TV comedy projects, and I figure it's a good idea to absorb different kinds of influences. And that's a good example of a show, like me and a friend are, batting around different kinds of political comedy ideas. And inevitably, an office environment is a logical place yep. to have involved. And uh, you need to know what people have done before so you don't just accidentally imitate or so you can intentionally imitate but change enough that, that people don't think you're imitating. Uh, which, is, uh, you know, which is easy to do with something that has permeated the, yeah. the zeitgeist. And it's so ubiquitous. Yeah. yeah, I also thought um, Ricky Gervais um, has handled the whole Golden Globes thing over the last couple of years so well. I was really impressed at you know his, it, it, it's amazing how it's increased his stature. Yeah, internationally. it's you, just ridiculous. You, you wouldn't expect that. No, Brett, uh, if I if I was going to watch one thing, mm-hmm. uh, I would be watching The Straits. I think uh, so. A- ABC One eight thirty on on Thursday night. Thursday night eight thirty. Uh, yes, eight thirty. Uh, on Thursday night on ABC One, uh, repeated ten thirty on uh, ABC Two on Friday. Uh, it is, it is unlike anything else I, I've seen from from Australian television for for a long time, as far as a as far as a drama goes. And even even if you've heard us talking about it and you don't think it's quite for you, you just wait till you see Brian Cox come on that screen. It's it really is just wonderful to see. Like uh, Toby is uh, planning to do with The Office, I've been gorging on uh, 30 Rock. There was a lot of uh, season five that I missed out on, uh, I realised, and so I'm catching up on that. Um, But uh, that was what I watched on the weekend. What I do recommend, if you've got a friend in the States that can send it over, is uh, House of Lies. We can bring some back for people yes. uh, when when we come back from uh, from Austin, Brett. I've watched three episodes. Love it. It's it's Love good, it. isn't it? Yeah, it's re- yeah. yeah, it's good. We'll uh, we'll, we'll cover that uh, some weeks later on Box Cutters. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters, pod, cast, done. Pork is on the table. Uh, I, I, I really I don't have much pork, and, and we don't have much time for pork. Not much pork? Uh, no. No, not much time. I have no pork. Uh, if, you, if you're we're interested on, in... We're on the internet time now. Yeah, if you're interested in, uh, in, in crumpler bags, uh, go to boxcutters.possible.com and uh, you can get a $155 crumpler bag for 100 bucks. So we've got our plane tickets. We just need accommodation now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, we just we you know we just we we're, we're trying to get over there and uh, and, surf. and obviously the 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 less that we have to worry about the better show that we can uh, that we can create over there brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode two hundred and ninety. I want to say thanks very much to Penny Chapman, uh, excellent guest, great to speak to her. Hopefully, we'll uh, get her into the studio at some stage. That would be great. So many more questions. So many more questions. For and we found that she's a bit of a fan. Yeah, 
Uh, also, uh, also, thanks very much to Toby Halligan for, for sitting in last minute. Yeah. Great work. Which is why I didn't watch the shows, by the way, folks. I'm, I'm, I'm no one cares. Good. Just making sure. No, no one cares. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Toby Halligan. I continue to be Brit Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bad time. Same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Box Cutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. Hi. Hi. Hey, I'm... But I'm pretty new to this. I haven't even yeah. watched TV before. You've never watched TV before. I don't know what I'm doing. That's what you say to all the boys. I, I was meant to be online champions and <laughs> Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.